Welcome to the Itchy Podcast. I'm David Calfe, Editor of Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology, the Journal of the Society for Healthcare Epidemiology of America. It's May 2022. In this month's issue of Itchy, the first of the 2022 updates to the SHEA, IDSA, and APIC Compendium of Strategies to Prevent Healthcare-Associated Infections in Acute Care Hospitals, often referred to simply as the Compendium, was published. Today, we will be talking about the Compendium update in general and the specific updates included in the CLABSI prevention recommendations that were published this month. I'm joined today by three people who have been instrumental in these updates. Dr. Debbie Yakoa from the University of California, San Francisco, and Dr. Lisa Maragakis from Johns Hopkins University are respectively the SHEA and IDSA co-leads for the 2022 update of the compendium. Finally, Dr. Len Murnell from the Warren Alpert Medical School of Brown University is the senior author of the CLABSI Prevention Recommendation. Welcome to all of you and thanks for joining me today. I've really been looking forward to seeing the compendium updates and being able to discuss the first of the updates with you today. I think this is really perfect timing for the publication of these updated HAI prevention recommendations, given the substantial increase in many HAIs um, that has been observed during the COVID-19 pandemic. In light of that, many hospitals are reevaluating their approach and redoubling their HAI prevention efforts. So these updates could not be coming at a better time. So Debbie and Lisa, I suspect that many of our listeners are very familiar with the 2014 edition of the compendium, but I thought it might be helpful before we get into the details of the updated CLABZ prevention document to provide some general information about the compendium and what we can expect from the 2022 update. So maybe I'll start off with a pretty basic question. What is the compendium? Thanks so much, Dave, and thanks for inviting us to this itchy podcast. We're so excited about the publication of this first section of the 2022 updates to the compendium. I'll start by providing a little bit of background information about the compendium, a little bit about what motivated us to create the compendium, and a little compendium history. So as all of you know, preventing healthcare-associated infections, or HAIs, is, is really a quintessential patient safety issue. Based on surveys that were performed prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, the CDC estimated that on any given day, about one out of every 31 hospitalized patients has at least one HAI. So relatively common complications. And as all of us know, these HAIs have substantial impacts on our patients, complicating their care, worsening their outcomes, increasing their exposure to antibiotics, and all the potential adverse consequences that are associated with unnecessary exposure to antibiotics, prolonging their hospitalizations, and increasing their risks for further complications. So we as healthcare epidemiologists and infection preventionists and antimicrobial stewards have always understood the critical importance of HAI prevention, but this became even more apparent to the broader healthcare community and to the public around 1999, when the Institute of Medicine published their report entitled To Air is Human, Building a Safer Health System, which was a report that focused public attention on preventable medical errors, including not only medication errors, but also including some HAIs as potentially preventable through adherence to evidence-based practices. And then during the subsequent two decades, the CDC further highlighted HAI prevention as a national priority 
and worked with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, to align their reporting and reimbursement programs with HAI prevention priorities. So overall, this increased attention focused on HAI prevention has been beneficial to our field and has helped us to get the support that we need for our work. But it also put a tremendous amount of pressure on hospitals to improve their HAI outcomes. So in the midst of all this, we created a multi-organizational task force that was led by Shea and IDSA in partnership with APIC, the Joint Commission, and the American Hospital Association um, with the goal of creating the initial version of the compendium, which was first published in 2008 and then last updated in 2014. And with the overarching goal of providing acute care hospitals with up-to-date, practical, relatively concise recommendations based on the available science plus expert consensus and sort of a one-stop shopping format that would help hospitals to be able to prioritize their HAI prevention efforts. Uh, since its onset, the compendium work has been highly collaborative. So as I mentioned, led by SHEA and IDSA in partnership with APIC, the Joint Commission and the American Hospital Association, but also with major contributions from a number of other organizations and professional societies with broad content expertise. And the national focus on HAI prevention led to major improvements in HAI outcomes. You know, for example, based on data submitted to the CDC's National, national Healthcare Safety Network, there was about a 30% reduction in CLABSI rates achieved during the five years leading up to the pandemic. But the COVID-19 pandemic, as you've mentioned, Dave, took a major toll on healthcare facilities' abilities to maintain their HAI prevention efforts. And despite the extraordinary dedication and tireless efforts of healthcare epidemiologists and infection preventionists and NMR group of stewards and others, many of our hospitals, including my own, saw substantial increases in HAIs, particularly central line associated bloodstream infections, but also catheter-associated urinary tract infections and infections due to methicillin-resistant staph aureus. And this was likely multifactorial, including enormous stress on healthcare facilities that were dealing with influxes of critically ill patients with COVID, dealing with overburdened staff, leading to diversion of HAI prevention and antimicrobial stewardship resources to pandemic response efforts. And I think this clearly impacted the safety and quality of patient care as reflected by worsened HAI outcomes. And as you mentioned, I think this really emphasizes the challenge of sustaining infection prevention efforts, particularly while responding to the demands of COVID-19 and all the inevitable future crises that we will have to deal with in the future. The vulnerabilities that were highlighted by the COVID-19 pandemic, I think make tools like the compendium even more important than ever because they help us to focus on adherence to essential practices, uh, really help us to get back to the basics. And they offer us a menu of additional options that can be considered when essential practices are in place, but hospitals' HDI prevention goals are not met. Great, thanks, Debbie. And I mentioned that the CLABSI document is the first of several compendium documents that will be published in the coming months. What topics will be covered in the other articles? I can jump in and answer that. So we have compendium documents on all of the major types of healthcare associated infections and 
uh, significant epidemiologically significant organisms and other basic fundamental practices in infection prevention. So the list includes central line associated bloodstream infection or CLABC, catheter associated urinary tract infections or CAUTI, ventilator associated pneumonia or, or events and healthcare associated pneumonia, surgical site infections, but we also uh, address Clostridioides difficile and methicillin resistant Staphylococcus aureus or MRSA and have a section on hand hygiene as one of those fundamental practices that really deserves a, a, a treatment that delves deeply into the evidence and the different methodologies for implementing hand hygiene effectively in healthcare settings. And, and while um, mentioning implementation, I would just say that implementation sections in each of these documents are a critical component of the compendium because we recognize that it's not just the evidence-based best practices for prevention of each of these types of infections or organisms, but also the, the practical uh, advice, expert opinion, and also what does the evidence tell us about how to effectively implement those evidence-based practices to ensure that each patient is receiving the evidence-based practices and, and the optimized prevention of all of these potential harms in the healthcare environment. Thanks, Lisa. And as we noted earlier, this is an update to the previous version of the compendium, which was published in 2014. And the, other than changes in the specific recommendations uh, that are being made in the individual compendium documents based on new data from studies published after that 2014 compendium was written, are there any other differences in the 2022 updates uh, that we should all be aware of? Sure. So one of the major features of the compendium, I think, is the fact that we do these regular updates. And because of the nature of the documents, we are able to update them more frequently than is possible for a, a full HICPAC guideline, for instance. And, and even uh, the Healthcare Infection Control Practices Advisory Committee has changed their approach uh, to guideline development to try to make this uh, you know, a very real-time sort of uh, activity so that we can get evidence-based guidance to everyone in as real time as possible. One of the things that's different for the 2022 update of the compendium is uh, the methodology. And, and so in the course of preparing for this update, we really took pains to make sure that we had a structured methodology and the ability to be very transparent about that methodology for the review of the evidence, for the search um, of the literature, for published articles and studies that have occurred in between the time that the 2014 compendium was released and, and now. And so we are very confident uh, that, that this has been a thorough evidence review, that we have captured 
uh, the relevant scientific literature, and that we can be, as I said, very transparent to everyone about how that method- methodology was, was applied. And of course, that, that is a, a critical component of any guidance document so, so that the readers and the users of the documents can be fully confident that, uh, that it re- reflects the best uh, state of the science right now. A second thing that I would highlight for readers of this uh, new update is terminology. And so uh, if you are familiar with the 2014 compendium, you will remember that we had basic approaches and then we had special approaches. And we still have two categories in the 2022 update, uh, but the terminology has changed. And so now those previously were referred to as basic approaches are now called essential approaches. And the writing groups and and the compendium leadership felt that this term of essential really better reflects how we feel that the evidence shows that these are things that really are essential to protecting our patients from these potential harms. And so not only are they basic, and and we know that, that the basics and the fundamentals are so important in infection prevention, but this really conveys the essential nature of relying upon the evidence and making sure that we are doing these things for, for our patients every time. And then The previous category of special approaches is now called additional approaches. And this reflects that concept that if you are doing those basic or now essential practices and you are still struggling with the various outcomes, healthcare associated infections or transmission of uh, epidemiologically important organisms, then you really do need to reassess and take additional steps. And the evidence shows us what some of those additional steps might be to tackle a problem that's ongoing. So terminology will be somewhat different in this update of the compendium. One specific example that I can give you this year about how we have expanded the scope of the documents is in the ventilator-associated event or ventilator-associated pneumonia section, uh, which now explicitly will encompass healthcare-associated pneumonia that is not related to a ventilator. Um, So that is an expanded scope of the document this year. And and then another piece that I mentioned earlier, but I want to, to just talk a bit more about is implementation. And we feel that implementation is such a critical component of the Uh, compendium and the guidance that people are really looking for, not just what does the evidence say that I should be doing, but how can I effectively do that and make sure that across a unit, across an organization, that the evidence-based best practices are reaching our patients. And so in addition to having an implementation section embedded within each of the content-specific documents for CLABSI prevention, for instance, we will now in the 2022 update have an an entire section dedicated to implementation strategies. So those are some of the things that you will see that look a a bit different. Overall, I will say I believe these documents will be very familiar to the readers who have relied upon them over the past uh, years. But these are some of the things that will be slightly different and, and updated and new this year.
So I think that's a really useful background for us as we uh, now shift gears and focus on the CLABZ prevention recommendations. So Lynn, I'm sure everyone is very interested to hear about new recommendations or major changes to the recommendations that had been included in the 2014 document. What major changes will people find in the 2022 update? So we made a few changes in the current compendium as compared to the last uh, iteration. Under the essential practice section, we have now recommended subclavian vein insertion for short-term central venous catheter preference with regards to an insertion site, specifically with uh, concerning risk of CLABSI as well as deep vein thrombosis. Ultimately, the decision of the ideal site to put in a central line is based on individual characteristics of a patient, their, their BMI, they have advanced COPD, uh, and the experience of the inserter, whether or not uh, there's ultrasound availability. But um, based on the available literature to date, we felt that moving subclavian vein insertion to the essential practice section was uh, a, a prudent change to make uh, at this time. We also mentioned in the essential practice section, use of ultrasound guidance, particularly for internal jugular and femoral vein insertion, which the recent literature suggests is associated with mitigating risk to patients when insertion is, is performed in those anatomic sites. We also, based on an abundance of literature, have chlorhexidine-containing dressings in the essential practice section and the last change in this section from the earlier 2014 compendium is uh, allowing administration sets not used for blood products or, or lipid-containing products to be changed up to every seven days, which is a change from the uh, earlier uh, compendium. We did make some changes to the additional approach sections uh, section of uh, the 2022 CLABSI uh, compendium, we had noted that antimicrobial ointments used for hemodialysis catheter insertion sites are, are now in this section of, of the document. There's pretty good evidence to support their use, but we felt having this in the additional approach section using basic infection control practices beforehand uh, was the best place for that recommendation. We also have a recommendation, we moved up use of IV or vascular access teams. Uh, there's been literature going back decades regarding the utility of these teams and reducing untoward effects of patients and actually reducing cost. There are few of these studies, however, with regards to central venous catheter insertion as compared to peripheral short-term catheter insertion, but we do list the utility of those teams now in the additional approach section. One of the controversial areas that uh, harbored uh, a tremendous amount of discussion amongst the authors was uh, antiseptic containing hubs or catheter connectors. And we, we felt the, the consensus opinion ultimately was to list those the use of these in the additional approach section as there was a feeling that uh, there wasn't enough robust data comparing uh, high reliability cleaning of a hub or connector uh, prior to it being manipulated compared to utility of these devices and a number of institutions having a low incidence of CLABSI without their use. So we felt for the moment 
uh, listing that in the additional approach uh, section was, was uh, the best place for it. Those were the, the major changes from the earlier uh, version. All right, and Debbie and Lisa had described the concept of essential practices and additional practices. In the CLABB document, you and your co-authors describe essential practices to be used before insertion, at the time of insertion, and then after insertion. So can you tell us perhaps what some of the key essential practices are for CLABSI prevention? Sure, thanks Dave for the question. So before insertion, we mentioned that there should be easy access to an evidence-based list of indications for uh, central venous catheter insertion in an effort to minimize unnecessary uh, central venous catheter use. We recommend requiring education and competency assessment of healthcare personnel involved with insertion care and maintenance of uh, central venous catheters. And then we also make a recommendation to bathe ICU level of care patients greater than two months of age with a chlorhexidine preparation on a daily basis. So those were recommendations before insertion. At insertion, we want to make sure that people are performing hand hygiene prior to catheter insertion or manipulation and donning uh, their gloves. Again, as noted previously, uh, utilizing the subclavian vein site to reduce risk of infectious complications when the catheter is placed uh, in an ICU setting. Use an all-inclusive catheter cart or kit. Uh, as noted previously, ultrasound guidance, particularly for internal jugular and femoral venous catheter insertion sites. Use of maximal sterile barrier precautions and an alcohol chlorhexidine antiseptic skin prep uh, to uh, utilize at the insertion site. After insertion, uh, one of the things that's often overlooked is the importance of nurse to patient ratio and limiting float nurses or other nurses that don't have experience in an intensive care unit setting with regards to those who are manipulating the catheter during, during their shift. Use a chlorhexidine containing dressing uh, for central venous catheters in patients over two months of age and changing transparent dressings uh, at a seven-day interval or earlier soiled, uh, loose, or damp, changing gauze dressings every two days, uh, disinfecting, as, as mentioned earlier, catheter hub needles, connectors, and injection ports before accessing with aseptic technique, removing non-essential catheters. It's important on a daily basis the care team should be assessing every uh, invasive device to determine whether or not they are essential each day for the needs of the patient to deliver the care that, that's required. And to perform surveillance for CLABSI in ICU and non-ICU settings. Those are interventions all uh, as listed as essential practices. And, and as Lisa described, your document also includes additional practices. Uh, that might be considered in locations or populations in which CLABSI rates remain unacceptably high despite implementation of these essential prevention strategies you just discussed. So how can hospitals determine if they need to use one or more of those additional practices? When do we pull that trigger? That's a, that's a great uh, question, Dave. And I, I think it varies hospital to hospital depending on their institutional goals. We all in the U.S. compare our uh, incidents as well as device utilization to uh, using NHSN data so we can compare ourselves to like institutions. So we reference 
an article senior authored by Dr. Mohamed Faki entitled The Case for a Population Standardized Infection Ratio, a metric that marries the device SIR to the standardized utilization ratio as a way to assess device use and risk at a population level above and beyond the individual level of a catheterized patient. I think that that's really helpful. And I also noted in the in the paper that you describe a number of outcome and process measures, which might also be helpful as people look to make sure that they have good adherence to the essential practices and make sure that they're actually are doing the things that they've included in their policies, which might also help determine whether they need to continue to focus on essential practices or move on to some of these additional practices. Absolutely. Process is very important. You're not going to have the outcome measures if you don't have the process in place, as Lisa, I think, alluded to uh, in in her discussion. So yes, we have indicators for process uh, as well. And so if we get to the point where we think we have sufficiently implemented essential practices and we're still not achieving those outcomes that we want, what are some of the additional practices that we might consider for CLABSD prevention? So we have listed some of the additional uh, approaches, one being use of antiseptic or antimicrobial impregnated catheters. Again, it's when to pull the trigger to utilize such devices in a hospital-wide or a specific unit is going to vary institution to institution. My personal experience here at our hospital, we had some infections in our burn unit a number of years ago, some CLABSIs, and despite our basic infection control practice with high, high reliability, and we switched to one of these devices with, with gratifying results in this very high-risk population for CLABSI, putting uh, catheters in around areas of burn. And so these uh, use of these sorts of devices, as well as some of the other interventions I'll mention, again, can be carried out in a, in a population of patients or individual patient or uh, in a larger on a larger scale. Similarly, in a, in a microbial lock use is something we mentioned in additional approaches for long-term central venous catheters. My personal experience, again, as an infectious diseases uh, physician consultant is uh, I've utilized these for patients that have had uh, recurrent line sepsis despite basic infection control practices, particularly with long-term catheters where we think the intraluminal source of infection is most important, again, with, with gratifying results. But I think picking and choosing when to use these interventions is very important and it's going to vary person to person, institution to institution. We uh, have also recommended under additional approaches, use of recombinant uh, plasminogen activating factor once weekly uh, after hemodialysis in patients receiving dialysis through their catheter, utilizing an infusion, as mentioned earlier, a vascular access team, use of antimicrobial ointments for dialysis catheter insertion sites, and then uh, use of an antiseptic containing hub or catheter connector, uh, as, as noted earlier. Thanks, Len. As you were outlining the strategies that are considered to be essential for CLABSI prevention, people may have noticed that there were three different strategies that involved use of chlorhexidine-based products. There was use of an alcohol chlorhexidine skin prep at the insertion site, chlorhexidine-based dressings, and use of a chlorhexidine preparation for daily bathing. I suspect that some people may be wondering if all three of those products really are needed or whether we could potentially use just one or two of them. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, it, there was so much discussion and discourse about a number of interventions, and this was one of the uh, chlorhexidine-containing dressings. And you know, it was felt that the data was robust with regards to their use to the point of where we thought it should be in the essential practice section. I must say, in a you know, personal note, and when I give uh, talks uh, about uh, prevention of cancer infections. It's unclear to me if we use an alcoholic chlorhexidine to prep the site before the insertions of, of, of a device, if we do daily chlorhexidine bathing in that setting, is there you know, additional benefit of a chlorhexidine containing dressing? And I, I think that's an unanswered, and I think we've listed that, that's an unanswered question. And if you have high reliability with, with those interventions, is there added benefit of, of this dressing containing an antiseptic? So I, I, I think it's, there, there was a lot of discussion about including it in, in this section, but we felt the majority opinion was to do so. Similar discussions took place with regards to antiseptic uh, containing uh, needleless connectors as well as uh, antimicrobial coated catheters. I mean, there's, a, there's you know, uh, particularly with the latter, there's randomized trials of which I you know, participated in some of them. Uh, one of the issues with having antimicrobial catheters in the essential practice section as compared to additional approaches is most of these studies were done a decade or so ago prior to a number of the high reliability interventions that have been made in infection prevention since that time and become routine in many, many organizations. And for during discussion with, with the authors, co-authors, it was unclear, I, I think, as a group, although this, there was a lot of differences of opinion uh, as to whether or not uh, you know, there should be essential practice because it, there wasn't updated data in terms of randomized trials to measure the utility of these devices above and beyond infection control and prevention standards of today. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, if, if an institution or a uh, group of patients within an institution has a very low risk of CLABSI, then without using, there are some institutions without use of chlorhexidine dressings. I mean, that's a realization, but nevertheless, we felt putting it in essential practice was, was the best way to go. Well, thanks. I think those are really important points for all of us to take away from this conversation. And, and I, I, there's one other thing I wanted to add that, that also took up a lot of discussion. And I feel, uh, I, I think that, that, that during the pandemic, we just couldn't do, but, but as with some of the other sections expanding, for example, with the, the pneumonia section beyond ventilator uh, associated events, I, would have liked to have expanded this compendium section to include intravascular devices above and beyond short-term uh, central venous catheters to uh, midline catheters and short-term peripheral catheters. And I, and I think these are vastly underappreciated as risk to patients. And you know, my hope is the next iteration we will expand or, or other authors involved at that time will expand this section to, to those other devices that do, do need attention uh, as we can be, yeah, we've done a lot for decades to focus on short-term central venous catheters and less so with some of these other intravascular devices, which also pose a risk to our patients. So we end each episode by asking our guests 
to give listeners an action item that they can take away from the podcast. I suspect that many people will be, or perhaps already are, looking to the compendium for help with reducing the risk of CLABSI in their hospital. What piece of advice would you give to someone who asks you how they can most effectively utilize the compendium to begin or to reinvigorate their improvement work? So Dave, I can start. I'll start by stating what is obvious, which is that implementing and sustaining HER prevention strategies is extremely challenging. Um, and so I think we need to make use of all the tools that we have available to us. So my advice is to use the compendium as a tool to help to identify gaps in your hospital's HEI prevention efforts, and then use this information to work with your frontline staff and clinical leaders to identify opportunities for improvement, to help you to prioritize the work and, and make use of the fact that the compendium is very multi-organizational, that the Joint Commission was a major partner in the creation of the compendium to help you to gain support from your hospital leadership to enable you to do the work that you need to do to prevent HAIs. And, and Dave, I would build on what Debbie just said by saying that one of the first steps in this work, I think, is an honest assessment of your current state. And as you stated earlier, all of us have seen backsliding. Most of us, I, I think, have seen backsliding in the safety indicators, including healthcare-associated infections during the pandemic. And so an honest assessment of what is actually happening on the ground, on the front lines with the current staff in, in many of our institutions, we've seen large turnover in that staff. Um, we've seen an influx of very new, in many cases, new grads. Um, so what is actually happening? And maybe even it, employ a peer-to-peer -peer evaluation or ask some outside uh, observers to come in so that we can identify those gaps that Debbie referred to between what is intended and what we may have on the official policies and, and books and, and what is actually happening in our units and, and on the front lines. And then the compendium it is, I believe, an outstanding guide, an outstanding tool uh, that's very usable. It, it quickly reference those evidence-based best practices. And again, I would say utilize the implementation section as you build your interventions um, to, to close those gaps. I think it's interesting that we've all focused on implementation. And again, reflecting back on my, my career, we often know what to do, but getting it done is profoundly challenging. And I would say taking the compendium to the powers that be, to the administrators, to help us advocate for the resources first to implement what we've recommended. But the other thing that's, I think, very, very important is compliance monitoring. We can sit in our offices, uh, off the hospital units, talking about the compendium and, and our, our recommendations. And even after these are implemented, I, I think another important aspect of prevention that we can advocate for is monitoring compliance with those interventions and making sure that there's high reliability and consistency moving forward days, weeks, months, years later. Can I add a, a, just a couple of brief statements? 
We're so excited about the publication of this first section of the compendium led by um, Nicola Buetti and Jodis Marshall and Len Mermel. And we just want to also make um, everyone aware that the additional seven sections of the compendium will be released by ID Week 2022. And I also wanted to just highlight um, the heroic efforts of the compendium section leads, including um, you, Dr. Kelsey, and, uh, and Len Marmel, and, and others, and all the writing panel members, and Valerie Deloney, who uh, is a Shea staff member who supported all of this work. Because updating the compendium requires a huge amount of work that includes systematic reviews of the literature published since the prior updates, many, many discussions amongst the writing panel members who represent a very broad range of perspectives, achieving consensus around essential and additional practices, and integrating input from the compendium expert panel and all the partners in the stakeholder organizations. And the fact that they've all been able to do this work while dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic is, is really beyond amazing to me. This could not, this endeavor could not have come to fruition unless everybody involved were passionate about what they're doing. I mean, I think as Debbie mentioned, we've all been dealing with the pandemic and the profound unforeseen challenges of that. And yet for myself, reflecting back on like evening conversations or whatever time of day with, with, with colleagues writing, you know, putting the compendium together was an honor and a pleasure and uh, was something we look forward to despite all the stress of the pandemic. And so uh, I think it, it, it reflects we're passionate about what we do on, on patient safety, reducing risk uh, and trying to make a difference in our lives. And I think this helps us to, to fulfill that destiny. Well, those are great tips. And I think that's a great place to end our discussion. I want to thank all of you for the tremendous work that you and your colleagues have put into the 2022 update to the compendium. It really is just tremendous. So again, thank you. I also want to thank our producers, Lindsay McMurray and Barry Wilhelm. And finally, I want to thank you, our listeners. I hope you'll join us again for the next episode of the Itchy Podcast. 